Just a warning that this week's episode contains language and subject matter that may not be suitable for children under 13, so kind of a PG-13 warning going into this episode. I'm very excited this week to have a dear friend on our podcast and honored that he would come and just have a conversation about the journey that he and his wife have had. This will be a two-part episode. This week will be Brad Warren. Next week will be his wife. And I'm just really honored once again that he would uh, be willing to share this journey with us on the podcast. So without further ado, hey Brad Warren, welcome. If you're good to go, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. So my guest this week is Brad Warren, a man that I've known 20 years, something like that. But then close to, yeah, close to 20 years, but then only have really begun to be close like brothers uh, in the past, I would say 10 years. Um, So Mm -hmm. we try not to look back on regret on that, but just Mm -hmm. know, Hey, we were put together a long time ago and we're definitely walking in that now. And so he's just one of my dearest friends. And so welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very glad you're here. You do have a remarkably handsome radio voice. So. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm as, Chris, as Kristen would say, you have a face for radio. Yay. <laughs> Not a voice, just a face. Yes. Um, so we are in uh, Brad's home office today. Uh, he and his wife are marriage and family counselors. So starting off, man, just what is your uh, background a little bit? Where'd you grow up? How did you kind of get to a little bit of this place where you are mm. right now? Well, I guess we'll get to college and then we'll stop there and kind of re reorganize. So yeah. did you grow up locally? So I was born in Bakersfield, California. Um, kind of moved around a lot. You know, people talk about you know, being a military brat, I was a roofing brat. My dad was a roofer. And so often chasing storms and wherever the work was. And so moved from Bakersfield to Tacoma, Washington, back to Bakersfield and uh, spent a short time in Ada, Oklahoma until 1979. There was a big hailstorm came through DFW and down we came to Fort Worth. Huh. So just storm, kind of storm chasing. Yeah. Following yeah. the storms. Got it. Been here since then. So kind of landed there. At what age was that? Nine years old. Nine. Okay. Ended up in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. north, south, east, west of the... Uh, we lived in a motel for a short time. All right. Until we got a rental home over near TCU. It was about two blocks from the campus at TCU. And... Uh, Really did a lot of my growing up in that area. Okay. Spent a lot of time over on the campus. And, uh, you know, back then it was pretty open. You know, kid on a bike could really get around anywhere. And right. spent a lot of time down on the football field there and just goofing around with some kids from the neighborhood. What uh, 
what high school did you go to in Fort Worth? Went to Pascal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Different from where your son graduated because he was at Arlington. Yeah, Heights. he was at he was at Heights, and so when I was at Pascal, you know, Heights was our mortal big, enemy. Right. You know, right. we were big rivals. Uh, by the time he went, uh, they weren't rivals anymore, and I could care less about anything <laughs> high could, school related. And so I tried care. to tried to forget about right. Didn't care about all that. that. So high school was that uh, good kid, bad kid? What were you doing? Well, <clears throat> I don't know. I think I think I was an okay kid. I felt like a bad kid. Okay. Um, you know, just. You know, I think I just grew up with a lot of shame. I had an alcohol, alcoholic father and a okay. rageaholic mom. And, um, you know, they never really got along and uh, really felt like an outcast. And so I went through high school feeling like an outcast. Okay. And then, you know, Kristen, she went to the same high school as I did. And she said I was one of the popular kids. I was around all the... I was like, I didn't feel like I was a popular That's kid. That's so funny. Yeah. It's yeah, it's really weird. And so I, I did kind of run around with, you know, kind of the, in popular crowd, I guess. But, you know, I still didn't feel like I fit in. All because of home life and how that all was going down. Yeah, yeah. I just I felt a tremendous amount of shame. Just never felt like I was enough or I fit in. And you know, so it was yeah, it was played a, sports whatnot. Played football. Uh, I didn't play football until I was a freshman. I think, you know, I had friends that were going to play, and so I joined along with them. Uh, you know, I wasn't really interested in sports, never, you know, had a catch with my dad or anything mm-hmm. like that. I mean, so uh, didn't really get into it, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a big guy. I was going to, yeah, I was going about to mention that is were you yeah. always, because he, for those that don't know, Brad, he's a big fella, mm-hmm. um, tall and and wide. large. Yeah, <laughs> what's that? Insane. Why? He's a he's a large man, uh, and yeah. and I'm a big dude too. But Brad makes me feel not so big. Yeah. Um, uh, so you were you kind of your size? Like you were you? Big yeah, kid I really. Yeah, I really was. I was you know six four two fifty. Yeah. You know, you were um, already big. Yeah, so I was pretty good size, and um, and up. Uh, I, apparently I had some skill because I, I was pretty good on the offensive line hmm. and um, I was anticipating going to college on a football scholarship. Really? Uh, you know, I was getting recruited by a bunch of schools um, and in between my junior and senior year, uh, I don't know what happened, but my back went out and uh, I couldn't play my senior year and just everybody dropped me. So probably a good thing. I wasn't a very healthy individual. I think that would have caused me some problems to. So what was unhealthy meaning health, health or mental health or mental health? Yeah. I looking back on it, um, you know, just carrying that, the amount of shame that I did, uh, you know, I, I tended to cope in some really unhealthy ways, um, you know, whether it was alcohol or uh, marijuana uh, on occasion, and uh, it really ended up being coping with a lot of sex hmm. and pornography. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, definitely wasn't very healthy at all. 
so do you, hmm, I'm probably getting ahead of myself, so I won't go there yet. Mm. But, all right, so you graduate high school, not playing football, kind of that route ended. You graduate, and what do you do? So I I ended up going to the University of North Texas. Okay. Um, I was an artist. Um and they had a pretty good program. Did you explore that in high school? No, not really? Not just personally. Got it. But you were like, hey, this is something I really enjoy and wanted to pursue mm-hmm. that. Got I it. did. I did. So I went to North Texas, and I'd never been around anybody who had been to college before. My parents didn't go to college. Uh, uh, my mom graduated high school, and that was about the extent of hmm. the education accomplishment in my family. My dad didn't graduate high school. And so I really didn't know what to expect. So I had a lot of friends in high school who were saying, Hey, I'm going to pledge a fraternity, you know? And I thought, well, that's what you do. Right. If you're, I didn't know anybody else who was going to North Texas and it was a big school. So I went up there. First thing I did was pledge a fraternity. Hmm. And obviously you know, carrying the shame that I did, not feeling like I fit in, right. uh, coping in really bad, unhealthy ways. I get plugged into this fraternity, and so what do they do in hazing? Well, they shame you, right? <laughs> make you feel like dirt, feel you, make you feel less than. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was kind of my low point anyway, and so that just drove it even further. And so oh, I yeah. withdrew and drank a lot blackout drinking did you quit the fraternity at all well i did you quit attending right yeah and so they had drilled it into my head that you know if i didn't finish that i would be ostracized by everybody on campus right like like yeah Yeah, i mean Mm -hmm. right you know and in you know my 19 year old head i had no idea that you know i couldn't (laughs) see how irrational that was you know yeah. It's like, okay, there's 20,000 people on this campus. Do you think all of them really yeah. care? Yeah. All about, 20 people yeah. would, would find out. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I withdrew, began drinking really heavily, um, finished my first semester with a 0.0 GPA, and uh, ended up back at home. Hmm. So then took a little while off, or did you try to jump right back into school, or? Well, I started working, uh, picked up the family business of roofing. Okay. And, <laughs> and uh, it doesn't take very long in a Texas sun to, <laughs> yeah, to really make you think this might not be a good career choice. Yeah. Um, but I did uh, take some classes at the local junior college here. Um, and just, I don't know, not really, not really knowing – what direction I was going, but no community, no friend. Like, I mean, I had, some friends, I had some friends that were here and were local, but you know, I, I don't know how healthy that was right. either. Not I mean, healthy community, but there right. was a people around. You. Yeah, there were. Gotcha. So how long of that period before the next kind of big step for you? Well, I was at home and it was right at the time that the Gulf war broke out Persian Gulf War okay. and um, Kristen who I knew I knew of in high school I wasn't really you know very 
connected to her. I didn't know her very well. She was supposed to study abroad. Uh, she was attending ACU, Abilene Christian. And that fell through because her dad didn't want her traveling overseas during that conflict. Oh, gotcha. So she stayed home a semester, Fort Worth, and we had a mutual friend. And so we kind of started hanging out a little bit. And yeah, I kind of went head over heels really fast uh, getting to know her. So here's something I've never, I don't know. I've known a little bit of what you've been talking about. Did her folks, what was that interaction like? Like, oh, here's this, you know, large guy, burly fella that's mm-hmm. starting to hang around our daughter, whatnot. What was their reaction to that? Un, un, kind of an unchurched fella, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. hanging around and courting our daughter. You know what? They were very sweet. Really? They were very nice. Um, I didn't get any animosity from them. I'm sure I'm sure they had some concerns. Right. Um, I remember... I guess we were 20 at the time and we just happened to be out late. Um, we had a mutual friend, uh, from high school who got married and we were, you know, kind of there for the wedding party and, you know, it's 2 AM and they're calling around trying to find out where their daughter is and Mm. called one of my friend's houses and his younger sister answered. Have you seen Kristen? You know, this smart aleck teen girl says, isn't she 20 years old? Oh (laughs) boy. But it was kind of one of those things, you know, they had a curfew for their 20 year old daughter and, you know, so there was a little bit of, um, you know, anxiousness on their part, but they treated me very well. Yeah. Um, welcoming and yeah. And I, you know, I put on a good show. I, I appeared, I appeared to be a pretty respectful guy. So she goes back to ACU. Mm-hmm. You're already smitten. Yes. And follower. Yeah, it took a little bit of time, but I did. I transferred my junior college credits to ACU and, and went out there. And finished up ACU. Mm-hmm. You yep. guys get married. Got married. Start a family. Start a what, family. Moved back to Fort Worth. Yeah, we, well, we moved. She, Kristen graduated before I did because, you know, I right. had a little lag, lag time in my in my career. Uh, we moved to Arlington. I went to UTA for a short period of time, uh, just a couple of semesters. I was miserable. And, uh, you know, that kind of brought about some, you know, some of my unhealthy coping, mm-hmm. you know, that Kristen found out about. It was a little bit heartbreaking for her. Um, we you know, just were married at this? No. We were married. Okay. Yes. Married yes. Okay. And so uh, I, we ended up moving back to Abilene just because I felt comfortable there. I thought, uh, you know, I thought I'd do better. I thought it was healthier for me. And so we moved back to Abilene and, you know, she was working full time and uh, I was working almost full time and going to school and then graduated. And then we moved. Yeah. We moved back to Fort Worth again. So by this time you're 22, 23. Yeah, we got married when we were 21. Yeah, so we were probably about 23. So through high school, and let's just really kind of stick with college, in that time, do you feel like you were aware of your unhealthy coping things? Was 
Like, you know, like I know you, you've done a lot of work mm-hmm. and been to school for it too, but do you think in those years that you saw it as a coping or was it just like, I'm just trying to or one drown myself in some liquor to, you know, cope with that in some sexual manner or, you know? Yeah, I was, I don't know that I, 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 number one, I wasn't insightful enough. Okay. To really understand. Right. Um, I knew I didn't like that about myself. I knew I felt guilt. I knew I, although I probably couldn't label it, I was feeling shame. Yeah. But I definitely felt guilt over my behaviors. However, I didn't I didn't know any other way. I didn't know a better way. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's just talk about that. So before we go probably any further, your thoughts, like sh- guilt and shame, you've kind of used those both a bunch so far. Mm-hmm. As when you look back on that young man, mm-hmm. what do you, f- you were dealing with shame, but yes. you felt guilty about stuff. You didn't see it as shame. You just felt guilty. Right. Do you, how do you distinguish the boat, the, the two now as, as a professional mm-hmm. and as an adult man, looking back on that as, you know, at a young boy, really, yeah. Yeah. how do you distinguish those two things now, guilt and shame. I think, you know, for me, guilt, guilt brings about a conviction. Um, okay. A de- knowing that maybe that's not right. And maybe I should choose another path, another, another action, another behavior. Um, guilt doesn't necessarily condemn me as a person. Hmm. It it doesn't directly influence my value. Shame, on the other hand, does say something about my value. Hmm. It says that I have none and that anything I do only reinforces the fact that I, I have no value. I don't, I don't bring any benefit to anyone or myself, Hmm. you know, and that's, that's kind of where, you know, I see where I was for so long growing up. So in my, I don't know, in my own definition, guilt is a thing that when internalized brings about, conviction and a shifting Mm -hmm. shame when internalized brings about a label of yourself, like labeling yourself as something less than yes. Yes. And so then you start wearing this label of whatever this thing. So like, you know, you were raised in a a house that shamed you Mm -hmm. in in a way. I mean, there probably weren't, well, there probably was verbal words. Well, and, and here, yeah, that's, that's a good point to make is that, you know, shame isn't necessarily brought about by words. Right. I don't, it can be, but I didn't, you know, my dad never told me that I was a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when given the opportunity to spend time with me, he chose other things. 
So there were no words involved in that. But that message spoke much louder than the words. Some verbal abuse thing. So was there verbal abuse in your house? Uh, Not directly towards me. Okay. Uh, so you said rageaholic with your mom. So that wasn't. Yeah, a... and it was it, it was directed at my dad. Oh, gotcha. Well, okay. and then and then even growing up, you know, I was kind of the golden child. So whatever I could do to appear, right? You know, good, I would do. Yeah, we didn't touch um, on that, but siblings. Yeah, so I've got a younger sister. Okay. And uh, you know she she was in a she was very troubled from a very young age. Mm. And, uh, she was very much the black sheep, the scapegoat. And so she received a lot of that verbal, true verbal abuse abuse. from my mom. Got it. And so anything from her, from your dad on that? No. I mean, he, he was a classic conflict avoider. Right. And so any physical abuse in that as well? No, no, no. Just all verbal and, Mm -hmm. and neglect. Correct. Yeah. And I want to go back to something you mentioned just that, um, you know, talking about that shame labeling you and, you know, feeling worthless. I mean, for me, I know that was there. However, what I did with it is it was so painful to sit with that Mm. emotion. Right. That I was going to do anything I could to lift myself up myself up out of it and so uh it led to perfectionism Hmm. because if i could be perfect at something then that would increase my value um if i could make others believe that i was good if i could make people believe that i was talented if i had you know gifts that were valuable things like that then I would go to the nth degree to show that, to prove that. And so there was this, it became a sense of grandiosity. Hmm. I really kind of built myself up and, you know, grandiosity looks a lot like narcissism. Right. Absolutely. Everything being about myself and, uh, you know, it has to be my way or the highway and I know everything. You don't know anything. Right. And, And that, that was a, a sense of grandiosity to build myself up, you know, to negate the shame. Yeah. Giving myself my own self-esteem, right, uh, in an unhealthy way. Narcissistic when you inside are just crumbling and have zero. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. And, that, you know, and I know, I know that's one thing that, you know, in my profession, uh, narcissism gets thrown about a lot. Right. It's a, really Easy highly to go used to. Mm-hmm. term. And, uh, you know, if you, if you think really about the, the true definition of narcissism, there's a psychosis in that, that, um, you know, that person really is in a lot of ways, just disconnected from others. Right. Whereas being in a sense of, of a state of grandiosity, I'm super connected with others and their opinion of me matters right. so much. That Almost overly connected. It, to right. Work. And mm-hmm. it, and it drives that, you know, that, that pendulum swing mm-hmm. away from shame. So it sends me into that very self-centeredness. And so it, again, it looks just like narcissism, but those there, there's too much of a connectedness in that shame in relation with others that drives it. Hmm. 
What enneagram number are you? I'm a I'm a two. A two with a three, or a two with a one. Oh, I don't remember my wings. Can't remember. Anyway, yeah. I wanted to go there. Um, we'll talk about that later on. <laughs> with a whole different. I guess a, a I guess I should go. I guess I should go pull out my notebook and whole different. Kind of see I just the wonder how I've that done. plays into a lot of that. You know, dealing yeah. with your like everybody has some level of shame somewhere that they've dealt with or built up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder how that manifests through different personality types and whatnot. So you guys uh, start having kids. Mm-hmm. What are you, what are you doing work wise uh, kind of out of college? You guys are jumping into careers and whatnot. Right. So I started out at nation's bank. So I was in banking hey, uh, when I was at ACU. Yeah. Um, I worked at the financial accounting office. And so, you know, I really had no direction. I didn't know really what I wanted to do. Um, you know, it just, if I had somebody say yes to me, then, man, that right. hey. gave me the feel goods. Yeah. It built my self-esteem. Right. And so, right. you know, so I applied for a banking job, got it. And, oh, I'm a banker, you know, so that there's my identity, right? There's a title, so, right. Mm-hmm. So step into that. So I did that, did that for, did that for a while early on in our marriage. Kristen's working as well. She's working. She was, she did, um, executive headhunting. Um, okay. <laughs> it's, I mean, not like, you know, with a spear and right. ax or anything, but Shrinking no, she, it, right. you know, uh, it was kind of a component of human resources. So, okay. uh, when people, when companies needed to find yeah. hard to find, uh, management or executive specialty, you know, positions, then they would hire the company she worked for. And so she would find those people and recruit them. So you start a family, start a family, have your first child, Mr. Maximus Warren. Yep. Good old Max. So Max is born and, um, through this marriage good. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, okay, just, I will. There's, there's just the digging on all of it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Kristen and I really enjoyed each other's company. Right. We really did. We got along well. We enjoyed enjoyed a lot of the same things. Um, there was just constant tension. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandiosity, her expectations. You know, it's. How did that manifest itself in the in your marriage? Like, was it uh, just bickering all the time, fighting all the time, or just everybody shuts down. And there was, there was a lot of arguing, um, not always, but you know, we didn't see eye to eye. Uh, I wouldn't listen to her because out of my grandiosity, I know everything. And you know, she, she couldn't possibly be as smart as me. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, when she did get angry, you know, it, it triggered, you know, that avoidance that mm-hmm. I have because, you know, growing up, you know, my dad, you know, would shut down when my mom would rage against him and I'd be in the, you know, bedroom in the middle of the night, you know, hiding under the covers. And so when she got angry, I withdrew. Mm. Into coping mechanisms or just withdraw, withdrew? Emotionally just would withdraw, but you know, my, you know, pornography use was, you know, still part of my coping. 
was not, was not alcohol so a part of that too? Was not it, so much. Yeah, it was really just the the sexual addiction mm-hmm. side of things. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're ten years into your marriage, and things progressively get worse, or just you know, it's even keel. We started to see some professional success. Uh, you know, I went from banking to um, getting involved in sleep medicine. I became a sleep tech, running sleep studies at okay. night. Uh, I was going to go back to school for my master's, and so I was doing that at UTA um, and running sleep studies at night. Uh, my father-in-law uh, is a physician, and he was getting into sleep medicine, and so so I started working with him uh, at a company doing sleep studies. And just fell in love with it. Hmm. And so uh, I ended up taking a management position at this company and quit my MBA studies. And uh, anyway, we ended up leaving that business and kind of starting our own uh, sleep disorders clinic. Then um, really started to see some success in that. We really built... Uh, you know, Kristen and I partnered in that with her dad and, uh, we started to see some kind of big financial success and I was too immature Mm. to handle it. Right. And, uh, you know, we were making money. I was happy to spend it and that increased tensions with Kristen because she was uncomfortable, uh, with how comfortable I was spending and that was another coping skill. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Did that become a new coping thing? It did. It did. Um, you know, buying things soothed me. Uh, and the grandiose thing where, oh yeah, man, look at this new truck I've got. Look at these new mm-hmm. guns or, yeah. you know, all these things. Oh, I wanted everybody to see how yeah. awesome I was. Right. Um, and talk about it. And talk about yeah. it because, you know, anything I could do to keep you distracted from – the piece of crap I was on the inside. See, truly seeing me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So y'all are involved in church this whole time too. Yep. How was that as far as like, did you have community in that? We had surface, I guess. Yeah. We had as much community as I would allow, you know, I mean, I, again, it was all, it was all a show, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was happy to be, you know, this is about that time that, you know, I met you, right? Um, actually probably met you right before, you know, we started having success in the business, but yeah. Cause Max was little bitty and yeah. Know. And, uh, so, you know, I just, I remember, I remember meeting you and I was just, I was drawn to you. I wanted to be, you know, I was, I had this longing for male companionship. Right. I, I had this longing for, male intimacy in my life because my, my father was so absent and and neglectful of me. And so there was that hole that I wanted to fill, but, um, but it wasn't, you know, even if we did click and we were friends, it wasn't going to be anything in depth because I wasn't going to be completely open and honest with anybody and share of myself. And you were brought, and you were drawn to a broken Jonathan Williams at that time too, where I was dealing with my own. Right, right. Um, 
Because you and I have talked about this before, just to kind of let people in on that is like, you know, I thought Brad was kind of the snobby guy who had a lot of cool things and (laughs) was a little too good for me. And then Brad was on the opposite side going, man, this guy's too cool for me. I can't, you know, so we had this whole conflicting thing that (laughs) you can let that dwell a little bit. So was, I think about this a lot, even in, in Heather and I's relationship, but like with you guys, was that, did that create conflict too, where Kristen was really longing for these deeper, meaningful community relationships, but because of the way Brad was, that didn't happen because he's going to be always over here. And I mean, put on a show and Mm. did that create conflict with y'all too, where she wanted deeper things and you knew you weren't going to do that or. Absolutely. Well, I didn't have the conscious. Were you oblivious to it? Yeah, I I was oblivious. Um, But she did desire that Mm -hmm. intimate connection with me. And I just wasn't available. I was not emotionally available. And the only time we did get close was sexually. And then Mm. as soon as that was over, I'm withdrawing. And, you know, it just left her feeling more hurt and creating a deeper chasm. And so, uh, of course at that time, you know, my, you know, sexual addiction was, you know, increasing. It was, uh, making me withdraw even more. And so, uh, so I was just, I was really at that, at that point hitting my rock bottom. So in, in that side of your coping with the sexual addiction, um, did you ever feel, you know, until the rock bottom, I guess, but like in those times, did you ever have those, those thoughts deep, you know, deeper thoughts, like really cognitive, cognitively thinking, I got to do something about this. Or was it, nope, this is the way I cope. And I'm good. I did want to stop. Okay. There was that. Um, Any steps prior to rock bottom that you try to do that? Or was it just? Well, willpower. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) And you know. I'm not going to do that again. You know how effective that is. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. I think all through my life I kept thinking, you know, this will be the thing that makes me stop. Yeah. You know, I found a woman I love. Mm. We're going to get married. That'll make me stop. No. Having a kid. Having a kid. That'll do it. That'll make me stop. No, not quite enough. Having a second one. Having a second one. You know, being being successful in business, Mm -hmm. that'll do it. You know, getting involved in church, that'll do it. I mean, just. All the things. All the things. And nothing, nothing would work. Nothing was enough. Mm. And I did remember hitting a rock bottom place and I was, I was sitting alone in my truck and I I was thinking, you know, I, I either, I either stop acting out in these behaviors or I run my vehicle into Mm -hmm. a bridge and, um, and that's kind of where I was. 
You know, I, I was very much suicidal yeah. at that point. I didn't have a plan, but I thought, man, that would sure end my suffering. Oh, end uh, yeah. Kristen's suffering too. I mean, right. um, she really didn't know. She had no clue what the what she was suffering from because she did she didn't know. She suspected something was off with me, but really had no no clue. And so, for a couple of years, I did kind of just limp along. Mm-hmm. You know, I I'd, I'd kind of quit a lot of those behaviors. I was managing. You know, it's kind of a dry drunk kind of kind of thing. You know, maybe not so much the behaviors, but, you know, not really addressing any of the emotional mm-hmm. behind it. And that's when, you know, there were a couple of goofy dudes at church who started this ministry, this <laughs> Z experience thing. And, you know, were badgering me to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, I was going to say no. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Because I Why knew, would you want to, right? I, I knew, I knew that if I got away with God one on one, that I knew what He was going to want me to do, mm. and there was no way I was going to do that. There was no way I was going to confess to everything. There was no way I was going to, you know, open up that can of worms and deal with all the conflict that was on the other side of that. And so, so what did I do? I signed up for it. (laughs) So, you know, that's one thing we haven't even really touched on, but like through this whole thing, I mean, I wouldn't say, well, I'll let you say, but your relationship with God, your faith, um, and I'm not talking doctrine or theology. I'm just talking faith mm-hmm. in God. Like that was this constant, strangely. I I never really grew. I didn't grow up right. exposed to any religion. Um, and when I, when I was exposed to it, it was through Kristen. And it was very much a conservative viewpoint, you know, from her parents, from her grandparents. And, you know, that's where I learned theology. Yeah. Right. And, you know, God for me that entire time was this very judgmental uh, entity who was just like my dad who was disappointed in me and created shame. Yeah. It created shame. I I mean, I wasn't good enough to be in, you know, God's presence. And, you know, of course everybody could tell me the exact opposite, you know, and say, well, no, God's not like that. Not that's like, but that's not what I'm reading. And seeing, and you, seeing, you're also tr- experiencing right. a church setting that, <laughs> oh, this guy's taking the walk of shame down to the front of the church. Exactly. And, you know, I remember <laughs> kind of looking back on it now, you know, Jesus, 
I always look back and you know, Jesus said, you know, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right. And, really? and yeah. And I was like, Jesus, you're full of BS. I'm right. Like, that is, yeah. that's a biggest what about, load what of about crap. That? And, uh, and so I believed that for a long time because again, with my own willpower, I tried to walk that walk and it was impossible. Yeah. I'm like, that's not easy. Right. <laughs> There's no lightness in that. And, uh, but I, I, I wasn't at a point yet where I could really understand what he meant by that. So did, did the men's weekend, did the Z experience, did that come along at your lowest or were you just wallowing in your lowest and that came along? Yeah, I was wallowing in my lowest. I, I, I'd kind of somewhat quit acting out for a couple of years. Um, you know, pornography was still just constant struggle and I was still coping, you know, with, you know, alcohol still had a bad mood and, you know, was still agitated and frustrated. It was just using money, coping to using. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, uh, you know, using anything as a diversion, uh, from my own worthlessness. So, uh, that's when I, that's when I attended the men's weekend. So you signed up and went on it. Mm -hmm. What, what changed on that weekend? Like what was about, what was it about that, that you feel like shifted things or did it? Well, I mean, you, you brought it up to say it did. I was convicted on mm -hmm. that weekend um, that I needed to, I needed to be known, but I didn't know how much. And so I kind of cracked. So open what the convinced door a you bit. of the conviction versus feeling more shame? You know what I mean? Cause I can feel, I could see where, of course I'm, I'm talking like I don't know. Right. But like, I, <laughs> I, I guess just for people to understand that and ask those questions is, so what was it about the weekend where you just didn't get more shame heaped on you? Where you walked away from the weekend go, dude, I am a piece. Like why I just need to, you know, but you didn't walk away that way. You walked away completely convicted. Yeah. The entire weekend, I was just under a shadow. There was, I mean, I don't know that I could really tell you. It, it's hard for me to remember everyone that was on my weekend. Yeah. It's hard for me to tell you what anybody said because there was such a battle going on mm. spiritually for me in my head. There, were, I mean, I just it was, it was really brutal. Mm -hmm. And, and I knew I could not continue the way I was going. And Sunday morning, I ended up in a field and I just, I was sitting there just knowing that I had, I had to change something. And this was the only time up to that point, only time since that God actually spoke to me audibly. Mm. And he said, you have to confess. And 
I said, hell no. <laughs> it was a great conversation. It was a good conversation. Yeah. Um, I said, Kristen will leave me. She'll take the kids. Mm. My friends will abandon me. Mm. I'm, I'm going to be alone. I will be sitting, you know, I'll be one of those hermits in an, a one bedroom apartment yeah. sitting in a <clears throat> recliner, you know, binging on television and Cheetos and, you know, die, you know, at age 50 of a heart attack. You know, that's, you know, that's what I thought was a, ahead of me. And he was very sweet to me and he said, I won't leave you. Mm. And I lost it. I lost my mind. I just, because that's not who I knew. That's not who I thought he was. Right. The entire time I thought he was very disappointed in me. Yeah. That he was annoyed that I couldn't do any better. Yeah. And in that moment, he said, and that, you know, he showed me, he's like, that's not who I am. Mm. And he was very sweet to me. He was very sweet about it. And so I thought, okay. Because number one, it, Brad doesn't talk to himself that way. <laughs> no. You know? No, and that was not my This voice. theological, you know, religious God that you had gotten to know for so long wouldn't wouldn't audibly it didn't it did it did not nothing made sense it did not fit my internal voice and it definitely did not fit my theology so you gotta say it's okay i'm just gonna trust this is Mm -hmm. you and so yeah i came home and started to just unpack who i was i mean it took a few months right it didn't have to take a few months, but I took a few months to. Well, that was a lot to know. get through. You were breaking yeah. yourself open, right? And right. not just, hey, here's some stuff I got to talk about. You were you were unpacking forty something yeah, years, forty of, years of just junk, yeah, just yeah. trying to rip open. Yeah, but but through that, I was also trying to manage Kristen's emotions. I was, you know, I told myself I was trying to protect right, her, right. but I was really just trying to protect. I was still in that grandiosity place where I was trying to protect myself. Yeah. Right. I was, I was still, I still need one. to look good in this. Even yeah, I, still need to, can do. I can't look that bad. Right. And so, you know, so there was still that. And so, you know, it kind of truth trickled out over four months and, uh, and it was painful. Mm. Kristen was in a, tr- I mean, it, it was, it was a tremendous amount of pain. Yeah. I still refer to it as the Warren's hibernation. Like we did oh, not yeah. see you. No. Or interact with you because that was when I fully was like, I love that dude. Like I've known him for a long time, mm. but I love him. I mean, I saw you dealing with the veil that was draped around you the whole weekend, finally ripping through that and going, yeah, that, that dude I love. Mm. But then y'all went into hibernation yeah. and truly, uh, I mean, a cocoon, like you mm. cocooned yourself. You guys were doing yeah. a lot of work on yourself. We were. To reemerge, yeah. a beautiful butterfly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I want to, unless you need to walk through those cocoon times. 
Well, I think the only thing I would I would really say about that is that um, I think that's that's where I really began to walk into my identity. Mm. Um, I was a classic con- conflict avoider up to that point, right? And I found out that part of who I was was being able to step into those really difficult emotional places. Um, and Kristen was in mm. a really difficult yeah. emotional place and it was painful to see, but I knew that I knew that for my healing and for her healing, I had to embrace it. Feel um, all the feels. Yes. And, um, and so that is where kind of that part of my identity kind of awoke as a, uh, in that emotional healing. Mm-hmm. And I can, you know, I can look back now on my past and see that it was always there, but I ran from it and I used it in really unhealthy ways. But it was at the core of my being mm. all along. And Just being tried to use against you instead of as, right. a, as a positive tool. Right. And so, uh, so we, we did. We cocooned. Um, and we were there for each other through both. I mean, because I had a lot of healing to do, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and so we were there for each other. And part of that. Part of that journey is we ended up at um, uh, affairrecovery.com. That was one of the first resources that was given to her by a, a really good friend, uh, Greta Davis. She's a she and her husband Jed are therapists in Dallas. We went to ACU with them, really close friends, and uh, Greta had suggested that Kristen go check out that uh, mm-hmm. website. So. She, Kristen got uh, signed up for this Harboring Hope uh, support group for, for women. And, well, it's not just for women, but uh, betrayed spouses. And she got a lot of healing from it. And they had these weekly podcasts. These people would submit questions. And there was a couple who was part of this uh, John Mark Haney and Leslie Hardy, uh, they're a married couple and they answered questions Sunday nights and Kristen and I, it was part of our routine. We'd get in bed and bundle up and listen to, listen to the Q and a with John and Leslie. And Kristen said, Oh my gosh, I want to meet them. Hmm. She was like, this is, she's like, this is the best there. You know, she just, we both loved them, uh, just from the radio program. So as part of our healing, we, in July of 2012, we went down to Austin where they had this, they had these intensive weekends for couples and it's, uh, called EMS, uh, emergency marital seminar. And so we ended up down there for the weekend and got to meet John and Mark and uh, Rick Reynolds. He, he started it. And that's where Kristen said, this is what I want to do for a living. 
she had always felt that she wanted to be a counselor because she, you'll you'll hear from her yeah about her journey, but um, she just always knew that she should have been a counselor, but you know she didn't take that path in college. And she said, "That's what I want to do," and so it ultimately led to us going back to school and uh, getting our masters in mental health counseling and ultimately ended up working for <laughs> working for a fair recovery on these EMS weekends which is Absolutely what we do now. amazing so yeah. you and Kristen have a business together we do uh, practice together and um so we can plug that real quick what is mm-hmm. what is y'all's website what is your all the tags that go along with yeah. who you guys are so we're not sophisticated enough to have tags, um, yeah. but a website. We do have a website, uh, restfulmindtherapy.com. Here in Fort Worth. Here in Fort Worth, uh, we do uh, offer uh, therapy, uh, really for anyone in Texas. Uh, however, we do we do get uh, inquiries uh, through a fair recovery for those uh, seeking help with infidelity, mm. and so that's our. That's our niche specialty is is infidelity recovery, and uh, I work a lot with sexual addiction. Uh, Kristen works a lot with betrayed spouses, mm. and um, so we do get we do get quite a few people who come through EMS and affair recovery um, who aren't in Texas, and so we do offer relationship coaching for those that are outside of the state. Um, and so it's, it looks a lot the same, but it's a little bit different, a little more directive, but you know, we do have that umbrella too, that we will see clients. So you guys got involved with EMS as therapists now, and you're involved Mm -hmm. with those guys. What's the contact website with those guys? Yeah. So that's a fair recovery.com. So if, you know, anybody's out there struggling, um, with infidelity in their relationship, whether it's pornography, you know, a, an emotional affair, sexual affair, sexual addiction, whatever, whatever it is, um, there are a lot of resources out there uh, for both the wayward and the betrayed spouse. Right, and it's it's a very intensive nine one one type weekend, correct? Yeah, so there's a lot of resources out there that you can just go to, just you know, uh, video podcast vlogs you know right uh, videos articles i mean there's just a ton of resources there um they do have some uh, uh curriculum for both the wayward and and the betrayed uh that they will get you plugged into specific groups right. for you know like 13 week hmm. um uh, support groups. Uh, they do have these intensive weekends uh, down in New Braunfels uh, that they do once a month. Uh, that's kind of a three-day, really intensive, uh, in-person weekend. And so that's where Kristen and I do a lot of our work is facilitating groups. Gotcha. That. And I'll list a lot of these in our the description of the podcast. We'll have a lot of those links in there. Where I can get some of these resources from Brad for anybody listening that may want to look into those or share those with somebody that they may know maybe going through some of that. 
Uh, it makes me think when you talked about the lengthy time and uh, just sexual addiction as an addiction, are there um, um, recovery um, detox places like that for sexual recovery? Or have you found like just in your study and whatnot that that's not as easy to do detox as it is like with, with a, you know, a substance abuse. Program. There, there are some, uh, there are some facilities that do provide that, that are specifically geared towards, uh, sexual addictions. Uh, they're more of a, uh, inpatient type. Gotcha. Uh, uh, there's the meadows that's, uh, north of Dallas. Uh, that's, uh, involved with, Patrick Carnes, uh, okay. he's kind of a, he's kind of a, a founding um, researcher in the field of sexual addiction. Um, there's there's a lot of other uh, places around the country that do that. I I don't have a specific list. I might be able to give you a yeah. couple to list on, on the, on the description. But you just don't hear a lot of that, right? You hear people going because you know they're an alcoholic or they're you know abusing drugs or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, mm -hmm. go to a detox place to yeah. kind of deal with that. Um, but you know, you just don't hear a lot of, about that with like sexual addiction, which can, which can mm -hmm. be as powerful as straining, you yeah. know, as addictive yeah. as, as a, a substance because well, the sex is the substance. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the neurotransmitters that are released in the brain, same, right. You know, look a lot like, you know, with sexual addiction, right. it, looks, it looks a lot like heroin. I mean, yeah. you know, so, you know, if, if, if you can get addicted to heroin, you can certainly get addicted to sex, but it's going to look a little bit different. I, I would feel like those, those type of facilities or, you know, it can't be some, bougie detox place somewhere, you know, like Arizona with all these swimming pools and whatnot, because you're dealing with sexual addiction. So, yeah. you know, if you're there with co-ed folks or whatever it looks like, I mean, you're, you're, yeah, whatever yeah, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, a little different. Yeah. It, it, it will probably look a little bit different. Um, you know, that's not, you don't have any I've experience. Not, I don't have any that, experience right, with that. Um, I do, I do know, you know, there have, there have been clients who have, you know, visited places like that and, and gotcha. done, you know, that kind of inpatient work. And, and it's, it's great to kind of get a head start, you know, get, you know, kind of front loaded with some therapy and some tools and things like that. Um, but, but really from my perspective, if, if you're going to address that, then you really have to address relationships mm. because if, if you're involved in sexual addiction, then, you don't know how to engage in a, in a safe and secure manner emotionally with right. other people. And so that's where the real work happens is, is in relationship with a significant other, a spouse or, right. you know, even, even friends, right. You know, and so that, that's a big part of the recovery process is learning how to be genuine and authentic emotionally and being vulnerable and engaged in those ways. Finally being fully known. Right. As your phrase is, to be fully known is to be fully... Yeah. To be fully loved. You, you have, have to, to be, be fully, fully known. known. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so finally, as we kind of draw to an end here, um, just to push a little bit further on the faith. So EMS is a faith. I mean, because I, I feel like faith a, played a big piece in your oh, absolutely. coming out of your yeah. uh, rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are people that come out that don't have right a faith. Right. But EMS is is very much geared in that direction. There, there is a component uh, that is faith based, but. Not it's, it's not yeah. it's not yeah. a religious organization it's there's you don't have to be of faith to right. find benefit in it right there's it's not pushing anything down your throat except recovery and correct save try you know doing their best to right. save a marriage or save relationship and exactly I got it man I appreciate it a whole lot I got a couple of things at the end that okay. we do are fast and furious all right. But I changed mine up for you because I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. Okay. Do you have a favorite word? <laughs> uh, valiant. Valiant. <laughs> I love that. I do too. It's pretty special to you, I yes. know. So, yeah, because I, I wrote down mine, like, I love the word loving kindness. Because mm. it's so big. Yeah. And we don't use it enough. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a word that you hate? Should. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. I've got a therapist friend, Lee Ashley, and <laughs> that's, she hates that word. And so I got to thinking about that. I was like, that is so right. Man, shoulds, shoulds will kill you. Well, Put a pin on that word because that's a that's one of the more powerful words we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. Should. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fast and furious questions: gum or Altoids? Gum. Cars or trucks? Trucks. Oak or mesquite? Oak. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Regular cup of Joe or a latte? Regular. Free birds or Chipotle? Chipotle. Football or basketball? Football. iTunes or Spotify? iTunes. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Beach or the mountains? Mountains. Mm. I love you, Brad Warren. I love you, John. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. And um, I hope you're in the room when I get to talk to Kristen, too, because she's coming up. I may be. Awesome. She thanks. may she may kick me out. Though. Well, she may do that. That's for sure. <laughs> so thanks, man. I appreciate it. And uh, once again, I love you. Much love to you. Thank you guys for tuning in.